Thanos the Infinity Relativity Hardcover. Written in pencil by Jim Starlin. Inks by Andy Smith. Colored by Frank D'Armada with Rachel Rosenberg. Letter by Travis Lanahan. Cover art by Jim Starlin and Rachel Rosenberg. Logo and book designer Jerry K. Fletcher. Assistant editors Jonathan Mosain and Jake Thomas. Editors Tom Brevoort with Will Moss. This hardcover has been reprinted a few times. Once in Italian, which you can find as Thanos La Relativa dell'Infinito. It was printed in December 2015 as a hardcover. It was also printed in June 2016 as a softcover in Germany. Thanos Die Infinity Aligns. And of course, you can always find it on digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. This hardcover starts in the negative zone. Annihilus, the lord of the negative zone, is conferring with his top two lieutenants, Dr. Boltar and Blastar. His entire fleet is now equipped with Dr. Boltar's gateway targeting system, meaning they can strike anywhere in the positive matter universe in minutes. They are planning an attack as soon as they can locate a mysterious powerful item that Dr. Boltar is tracking. In the positive matter universe, four of the Guardians of the Galaxy, Star-Lord, Rocket Raccoon, Drax, and Groot, are trying to find their fifth member, Gamora. The shuttle she was traveling in crashed on an asteroid, and they are going to rescue her, as soon as they can find her. They find traces of another ship having been there, and are going to track it. But before they leave, Rocket finds a mysterious red gem. As the Guardians prepare to leave, we move to... Earth. Specifically, 541 kilometers above its surface. We find a robot running around some satellites in an orbit above the planet. The robot also finds Adam Warlock, wearing the new outfit that he got in the Infinity Revelation. Adam knows that this robot is an advanced scout for the Protectorate, which is planning on stripping the Earth of all its mineral wealth. Though he's not sure how he knows that. Adam can't have the Protectorate do this and strongly advises them to find another planet. On board Analysis Fleet, Dr. Boltar and Blastar are monitoring the activities of all individuals and organizations that Annihilus considers a threat. Except for the one being he considers the most dangerous, Thanos of Titan, who is currently in the realm of his beloved, Mistress Death, using her monitoring system. He is currently concerned with Adam Warlock, who was changed in the Infinity Revelation. Adam is far stronger than he was ever before, and the data Thanos is getting from him is... troubling. However, Thanos then receives a visitor. Himself. At least, the version of himself from years ago when he had the Infinity Gauntlet. The Gauntlet version tells him that he needs to find Gamora and Pip the Troll, and let them know that Adam has returned. While Thanos prepares for his journey, Adam is speaking to... someone. After recapping his life story, we see he is talking to Gamora. Maybe. And where they are speaking is a mystery. Don't worry though, we kind of work this out during the episode. While this is happening, the Silver Surfer finds Adam's body unconscious in the only surviving ship of a vast, now destroyed armada. This is, was, the Protectorate. The armada was controlled by an advanced AI. It was once filled with millions of members. The citizens of Polterac 7, a worldwide pandemic, had hit the planet, and the AI was able to rescue a lot of the population and take them to space. Traveling the stars of the people in cryogenic storage, protecting them until they can be cured. But at this point, there were only two people remaining, but the AI is still treating it as if it has to deal with taking care of millions. Adam was able to stop a misguided AI by destroying all but one of the ships, which is the one that actually had the two people on it. Now, as the surfer watches, 
Adam Warlock vanishes. And he wakes up in a luxurious bed. Getting up, he speaks to a scroll, Zelor. He apparently works for Zelor as a gladiator on the gladiator asteroid New Kral. Not knowing about Adam's return, Pip the Troll is in Starlin's bar, cheating at cards. He's about to get his ass kicked for the cheating when he is rescued by Thanos. Pip at first wants nothing to do with Thanos, since he refused to help Pip rescue the Hulk from Annihilus last time. This was in the Thanos vs. Hulk miniseries, which we covered in episodes 30, 32, 37, and 39. However, once Pip learns that Adam is back, he rushes to find him. Thanos also informs Gamora, who's annoyed, because she had been captured by slavers and was just about to escape. But Thanos tells her that staying on her present course will bring her right to Adam, so she has to pretend she's still a captive to see where they'll bring her. Turns out they're headed for New Kral. On New Kral, our characters are about to come together. Adam is the headlining feature in the fights, while Pip and the Guardians have separately shown up there as well. Star-Lord is a bit concerned about Adam's presence. Since the last time they saw him, Star-Lord killed him. He wants to just find Gamora and get the hell out. Along the way, Rocket tries to have his new red gem, which I'm going to be calling the red herring this episode, identified. But no one has any idea what it is. While he's trying to get it identified, we see a Nihilus and several of the great powers, including the Shi'ar, Kree, Skrulls, and Galactus, among others, have now tracked the mysterious item of great power to New Kral. Hmm. Okay, that's as far as we get in this episode. Not to jump too far ahead, but even though the big reveal of the, this mysterious item of great power will be covered in the next episode, we're going to have to reveal it now because it's going to be really hard for us to accurately discuss this part of the story without revealing it. So here it is. Rocket's gem is nothing to trick. The real item of great power is Adam Warlock. You see, in the first hardcover, The Infinity Relativity, the Adam and Thanos of our reality come into contact with the Adam and Thanos of another reality. By the end of that story, our Thanos and our reality are still around. Our Adam is dead. As well as the other Thanos, and in fact that other entire reality. Only their Adam Warlock has survived and is now living in our reality. Well, that's what we thought at the end of that story. Well, the truth is that other reality survived as part of Adam Warlock. The entirety of that universe exists inside of him, which is why he is so much more powerful than he was before and has knowledge he shouldn't have. You confused? Don't worry. Brian and I do our best to explain that in the episode. And if you want to refresh yourself on the Infinity Relativity, we cover that in episodes 14, 15, 16, 18, and 20. The Guardians and Pip are in the audience of the arena, though not together, waiting for the match to start. From the conversations going on around them, we find out that Adam will be facing 30 opponents and that he never kills anyone he fights. When the fight starts, Thanos taps into the arena's video feed to observe and give his own commentary. At first, Adam just fights hand-to-hand, but then starts to display new powers, like energy shields, microwave powers, and personal armor. Finally, only one opponent is left, Gamora. They talk for a minute, mostly Gamora ensuring that Adam does not hold a grudge against the Guardians for killing him. He doesn't. Before they can talk more, they are distracted by a bright light in the sky. It is the Annihilation Wave teleporting in. Gladiator and the Shi'ar Imperial Guard have already arrived at New Kral, and they attack the wave. 
While the bugs making up the wave prove to be no match for them, Annihilus shows up and uses his fear broadcasting powers to make the Imperial Guard members too scared to defend themselves. Only Gladiator is able to somewhat override his fear and moves to take the fight to Annihilus himself. Back in the arena, everyone there is also feeling the fear effects. Everyone but Adam Warlock, that is. At a touch, he is able to remove Gamora's fear, and when Pip teleports in screaming they need to run, he removes Pip's fear as well. Adam then sends the two of them to round up the rest of the Guardians, while he takes to the sky to deal with the invasion. Above New Kral, Gladiator and Annihilus fight, but it is over fairly quickly with Annihilus savagely beating Gladiator. Once the victorious Annihilus flies off, Thanos teleports in and uses that ability to send Gladiator back to his own ship, but not before leaving a message. While Pip and Gamora corral the Guardians, Adam is busy fighting the Annihilation Wave, and beating most of them. However, Thanos realizes there are too many of the bugs coming through, and New Kral has already fallen. In a very Thanos-like move, he leaves a large bomb, and then grabs Adam and teleports them both out, right before the bomb explodes, destroying New Kral completely. Unfortunately, Blastar sees the initial blast wave, and is able to push himself and Annihilus back into the negative zone before they are destroyed. And in case you're worried, don't be. Gamora, Pip, and the Guardians also escaped in time. That's what we covered in the last two episodes, and this is what we are covering today. On board the Guardian ship, Pip the Troll and Rocket Raccoon meet and get along famously. As famously as oil and water. After those two are separated, Star-Lord informs the group of a huge intergalactic meeting that Gladiator is setting up with all the great powers to deal with Annihilus. Pip knows that this is a bad idea, because he may be the only one in the Positive Matter universe who knows that Annihilus can now teleport anywhere he wants to in our universe, and is also now bigger and stronger than the Hulk. Well, I mean, Pip thinks he's stronger than the Hulk. He might be. Either way, being as strong as the Hulk would be a problem, no matter what. Taking in this wonderful news, the Guardians try to figure out why Annihilus decided to also just destroy New Crawl instead of invading it, though Gamora has her suspicions about who really did destroy it. In the negative zone, Annihilus is also aware of Gladiator's planned meeting and is looking forward to popping in and killing all who are there. While this invasion is starting up, he and Dr. Boltar work through their suspicions, which are similar to Gamora's, about who destroyed New Kral. Now, both of their suspicions are correct. As we know from last episode, New Kral was destroyed by Thanos, who is presently in some random corner of the universe with Adam Warlock. Thanos has brought Adam there to talk about what happened to the two of them in the Infinity Revelation. While Adam believes his new powers are just a product of this new resurrection of his, Thanos knows better. And in order to help Adam understand, he brings in some visual aids. First, he shows Adam a bioscan of a typical human, then of himself, then one of the universe, and finally, one of Adam. As we can guess, three of these scans are different. However, Adam's scan and the one of the universe exact matches. Thanos is able to convince Adam that Annihilus is searching for him to use him, and it would be in both their best interests if that did not happen. He feels the best way to deal with Annihilus is to kill him, and is able to convince Adam of this, though Adam feels they will need help. Back on the Guardian ship, the group is trying to figure out why Annihilus is attacking now. When Thanos and Adam teleport in, the Guardians go to attack, but after Drax is mesmerized and Peter and Rocket are stopped, Adam and Thanos are able to convince them that they aren't there to attack. On Annihilus' flagship, Dr. Boltar has located the power source that they are searching for. It's nearby, but it's with Thanos. They send out a spy drone, which is 
too easily. Dr. Boltar's a bit judgy about this. Able to patch into the ship's security. They can now see and hear all that is happening aboard the Guardian ship. They see Adam and Thanos explain why Annihilus is attacking now, although they don't tell the Guardians yet that Adam is the power source, and lay out their plans to kill Annihilus. Using Pip's teleportation abilities, they will pop into the negative zone where Annihilus is and kill him, as well as destroying the nursery where his replacement bodies are grown. Without a new body to send his mind into, Annihilus will be permanently dead. The Guardians are a bit concerned about becoming assassins, and Rocket brings up his new gem, the Red Herring, wondering if that is what Annihilus is after. Thanos explains it isn't in the most kind way possible for him, which means he crushes it to bits, which crushes Rocket's gun-loving little heart. After Thanos temporarily amplifies Pip's teleportation abilities so he can move the whole ship, they arrive in the negative zone to see Annihilus is waiting for them and has covered his entire palace with innocent victims, preventing the Guardians from just blasting the building to dust. To be concluded... Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And because we are still working our way through Thanos the Infinity Relativity, with me today is sexy voice Brian Zeno. How you uh, doing, Brian? I'm uh, I'm feeling sexy, which is code for uh, phlegmy and uh, rocking a bit of a cold. But I will uh, I will power through this and give you my husky sexy voice for the duration of this episode. This is Thanos after dark. Yes. <laughs> well, tonight, how shall we destroy the universe tonight? This is this is Thanos in his lair with death. Well, my love, how shall we destroy the universe tonight? Cue the sax music. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do death's voice, which meant I'm doing I'm saying nothing. That was that that worked. That worked. That was very subtle, but it worked. <laughs> but yeah, so we are back for part three of the Infinity Relativity. And before the intro music, you would have heard the synopsis and also the recap from before, so you know where we're at. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they have now. Let's just get into it because we don't need to really Absolutely. waste time. I am I am mission I am mission focused. It has uh, been brought to my attention by myself upon uh, re- reviewing our prior episodes that you and I can get into some very entertaining but also very numerous digressions and this is not a bad thing i suspect this is a large part of the reason that people listen to it choose to spend their valuable podcast listening time on us you have many podcast listening choices out there people and you choose us and for that we appreciate you but so our 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 rambling style is probably one of the big draws but that said I am I am I am prepared and mission focused. So yes, after that random and unnecessary digression, yes, by all means, Al, let's get into it. 
<laughs> what, you, you mean, <laughs> yes, we're, we're mission-focused after 45 minutes of not mission talk. No, <laughs> no, started. no, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm totally, I am, stay on target. <laughs> That's me, totally me. Can't Are you going to make me find that clip again? <laughs> uh, <laughs> stay on target. We're too close. Stay on target. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. They are fleeing the exploding Death Star, appropriately enough. Oh, not the Death Star. That's uh, that's um, Nuclear. Yeah, no, this is the exploding Alderaan. Oh, okay. 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 Yes. Um, that was no moon. Uh, actually, was it a moon? I think Nuclear was a moon. I think well, this, is all, this is all sorts of, this is getting all sorts of uh, A, Star Wars-y, and B, uh, not, not, not correct. So uh, I'm just uh, laying the misinformation on uh, left, right, and center here, aren't I? Well, let's see. Where is that scene real quick where Gamora's chained up and saying what a waste? Uh, yeah, asteroid. Asteroid. Okay, so so technically I was correct. That was no moon. No, it was not a moon. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, all right. So, the, so we have the Guardians and Pip on the Guardian ship. Mm-hmm. And Pip and uh, Rocket become fast friends. Yes, no, actually what happens here... Now, this is amazing to me. Now, tell me if this is not... If I'm missing something important here, but... So they start fighting immediately, and the reason that Rocket takes an immediate... Okay, Pip takes an immediate dislike to Rocket because Rocket is giving him 12 tons of shit. Yeah. Rocket takes an immediate dislike to Pip because he's a troll. Mm-hmm. We let a troll on board. He, he, he gives him the business because he's a troll... And at one point, he actually shoots Pip, which, okay, yes. okay, Pip manages to do his uh, teleportation thing and not actually get shot. Fantastic. And yet the point I'm making here is that in the course of this immediate argument, Rocket uh, basically attempts to kill Pip because Pip is a troll. And my question to you is, am I missing something, or does this establish Rocket Raccoon as possibly the most virulent racist in the Marvel Universe? (laughs) I never thought about that. I mean, because he's basically, he's basically decided he is going to kill someone because of what they are. Well, I guess we shouldn't expect too much from somebody who became really pop, became popular as a character with the, uh catchphrase blam murdered you blam murdered you that was that's true that's this is not the first time that rocket oh no 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 not guardians of the galaxy rocket has has been a racist before towards uh, whatever alien species he thought uh carol's cat was in the yes. uh, in the kelly uh kelly sue DeConnick, i remember uh, that that's right he thought the cat was some cat kind of uh, he thought it was a i forget a, a, the name of it Flarnak or something like that and he yeah. was like it did not matter if this was a good Flarnak or a bad Flarnak or whatever like he was against it just because of its species he is Rocket Raccoon is the Marvel Universe's most virulent racist there I am on record as saying it okay. and he says and he says gonna kill me that miserable roach he's even like you know talk like that's even the language he's he is he is terrible Rocket is a terrible person <laughs> to be fair, Drax doesn't help when he says a troll infestation is probably the least of our worries. This is also this is also true. I suspect that that sort of uh, that, that sort of uh, reasoning is not exactly what Starlin was going for with this with this sequence. That said, 
uh, I'm still going. The entire point of this podcast is for you and I to impose our reasoning on onto this work of, of fiction. So therefore, uh, my objection stands. Uh, the other well, thing I like. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go it's on. All go thing, on. It's doing what we're doing. It's uh, reading. You know, it's what you do when you read comics. You read exactly. between the panels. Two other things about this page that I particularly like that stood out to me is number one in panel two, where Pip just matter of factly, with a smile on his face, says, "Ah, it's a new trick of analysis. He can now broadcast fear." And he's like, "Like, like, like, whatever. Like, what? This is a thing he can do. Hey, he can now do this this incredible thing." And I'm just gonna mention it offhand, like. The casual body language with which he makes this announcement is entertaining to me. So that's number one. Oh, yeah. Bit. That's well, that's one. definitely very Pip-like. Is it? Is it? Okay. See, uh, I, as I, I have, That kind of reminds me of Pip. As we have pointed out in previous episodes, and I'm going to reiterate once for uh, people who might not have heard our prior two episodes on this graphic novel, uh, uh, I have not read the late 70s Jim Starlin Warlock run that introduced Pip, nor have I read the 1990s uh, Warlock and the Infinity Watch uh, comics, where I believe Pip was also a uh, character, a, a, yes. a regular character. So and that's basically, where he got the ability to teleport. So basically, aside from a, 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 some brief flip-throughs and scans of those uh, comics, this is my first real encounter with pep so i'm sort of learning about him on the fly as it were um yeah, the other thing on this for pep. although he's actually a bit more mature here than he is in some of the other ones okay, okay. he's grown up a little bit which is something to say about a person that we first encounter cheating at cards but okay i will take your word for that yep um the other thing about this that uh, that i love and this plays into what you just said about he's grown up a bit in the last panel when drax and gamora forcibly separate these two squabbling well, toddlers, uh, Gamora mm-hmm. addresses Pip like he's a toddler because she says, Pip, enough with the nonsense. And it's like, really, enough with the nonsense. That's something you say to a child. You know, knock off with, knock it off with your nonsense. Yeah, yeah that, that's actually very accurate. But yeah, whenever you get to the point where you read the, the 70 Starlin stuff and then even the Infinity Watch, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, this Pip is actually very mature compared to that Pip. Okay. But yeah, that's where also he does not have, just so you know, he doesn't have the teleporting ability originally. Oh, the teleporting oh. ability comes from basically him having the space gem for several years. Oh, okay. Okay, so so it's a sort of a, uh, okay, it's a later development. Interesting. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, no, after having the, infin- uh, being part of the Infinity Watch, and he was the one who's had the space gem for several years, it kind of left him with that ability. Basically, that's all he was able to do with the Infinity Gem was teleport, which was the whole point. It's like kept it, you know, just enough to, you know, he doesn't, he's not smart enough to actually exploit the gem. Right. But he was smart enough to use it to basically keep it out of the hands of people who would exploit it. Okay. He kind of got infected by it after a fashion. Yeah. So he's been able to teleport since then. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So we've established that uh, that, that Pip and uh, Rocket uh, are are. Uh, not our oil and water, fine. Yeah, they're not friends. Right. Now, the question is here, does he speak Groot, or is he just making yeah, a that, comment? I wondered that briefly, um, because when I first read that little exchange, Groot goes, I am Groot, and Pip's response is, so I've heard, that that smarts. 
first I thought, wow, that's some really sassy dialogue because, you know, Groot said something and, and everything. Then I came down after thinking about it for a few minutes. And uh, yes, I did actually think about this random bit of dialogue for a few minutes. After thinking about it for a few minutes, I came down on the side of Pip does not speak Groot. He just He's saying, I am Groot, so I've heard. And the bet that smarts refers to the basic giant hole yeah. in, in Groot's side. So that, I'm coming down on the side of too. Right. So I'm coming down on the side of no, Pip does not speak Groot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Pip's barely Pip's I'm I would say barely literate, but I'm not sure if he's that literate. And probably is just basically functional enough in whatever common language there is for it to play cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Now I really like the rest of this page explains that gladiator has declared a priority top priority pan sector emergency and is gathering an armada an armada uh in orbit above chandelar is chandelar a planet that, like chandelar is that the planet that lalandra's from yeah that's their that's the uh home world for the shiar okay yeah I, that's I, their I, main planet that's their that's their hala like the okay so now my question is but so uh the shiar is lalandra's people right they are mm-hmm. the Shi'ar. The, the, so Gladiator is not a Shi'ar. Uh, no, technically, well, the Shi'ar, from what I remember reading, kind of like, yes, they're the actual official Shi'ar. You're also, he's part of the Empire, and he's now right. the Emperor. Right, it's the Roman Empire kind of thing, wherein, you know, Gladiator's like if they had employed a Gaul or a Moor um, as, a, as a general in their army, you know, no, he's not a Roman, but, you know, he is a citizen of the empire by dint of, you know, his yes. world having been conquered by them. And so that Bingo. is a thing. Okay. I knew that at some point, but it all sort of gets mixed together. So anyway, my point is gladiators done this thing and Pip realizes that that's a really, really dumb idea. And he explains why. And I, I love this because it's actually, that's very intelligent Writing, I mean, so often, you, you know, you get military maneuvers in these cosmic storylines. I'm thinking back not just to Annihilation, but also to um, uh, the uh, Infinity, not, not, it, it gets a little confusing, but early on in Hickman's run on Avengers, uh, we had the Infinity crossover. Was, yes. Right, with with the Guardians of the Galaxy and all that sort of stuff at that point, Thanos and the... Uh, uh, black, black, the black order, black order. I was going to say black guard, the black order and all of them. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so often you have these big cosmic events in comic books and you'll get wars happening. You'll get big violence and military maneuvers and this, that, and the other thing. And I am no tactical or strategic expert. Just play a game of chess with me and you will realize that pretty quickly. I have, I am not, (laughs) I am not gifted in any way, shape, or form in that arena. That said, I can recognize more um, well thought through and and thoroughly presented military content uh, when I see it. And what I like about this is that is a development and counter development that makes a lot of sense that is interesting in that it creates complications and it's like, Oh, Hey, that, that, that's an interesting thing to have happened. 
So for that, I just want to give him credit here. He created this this thing here, which from a standpoint of a military conflict is actually super cool and interesting all in the span of one page as it proceeds and plays out over the next few pages. I'm like, oh, very cool. Like that. I yeah, like it that works part. out. Although Pips, except for the part where he says, has old Mohawk flipped his lid, which I love. The <laughs> next panel of Pip explaining why does not work for Pip at all. Yeah, really? Why not? Too many big words. So what you're so the same way that we have seen weird words, weird uncharacteristic words coming out of the mouths of uh, Peter and Drax in, in earlier pages of this graphic novel. Yeah. Now you're saying this panel does the same thing to Pip. It's a it yeah. it's an interesting statement, but Pip is maybe the wrong person to be. Uh, he should not be saying it this way. I mean, he, he says, from what I've seen, Annihilus' teleportation guidance system into the Posiverse has been vastly improved. The concentration of forces is now weakness when dealing with Annihilus. In any rich environment, is going to be an, prove an irresistible and highly valuable, no, sorry, and highly vulnerable target to him. That's true. No, and those are all, you're right, that would be, that would make a lot more sense coming out of the mouth of, say, Gamora. Yeah, no, the whole, has old Mohawk flipped his lid? That's, That's Pip. style of Pip. Now, yeah. if it was the same thing was said, but in the style of the other part, other way, you know, the flip his lid part, uh-huh. that would make sense. You know, and then and then he he reverts to Pip in the next uh, state in the next panel. We've got to get on the line and talk Gladiator out of that crazy strategy. Yeah, see, that makes more sense. Something like this, like, oh yeah, no, he can now pop in anytime he wants, and so actually, you have too many people around. It's a lot easier for him to just black pop in and kill y'all. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and meanwhile, in the last panel, uh, Rocket's just off to the side, being racist with the red herring. So yes, uh... <laughs> <laughs> my precious. Won't let it, that degenerate troll get his filthy hands on you. Oh my God, Rocket, stop it! Okay. Oh, and see right here now, the next page, how he explains the changes in Annihilus. Yeah, that's how he it. talks. Yeah, and yeah. I love it. I love it. Annihilus is now about 18 feet tall and can bitch slap around the Hulk. Yes! Yeah, see, that's how it should have been done. Evolution is a constant, even for the world's greatest superheroes. Founding members have departed, new members have stepped in to fill the ranks, and their final memories of Happy Harbor are of a stunning betrayal and the loss of their secret sanctuary. There is only one place to go for the Justice League of America as they march into the Bronze Age of Comics, straight up! More precisely, 22,300 miles up above the Earth. Welcome to a bold new era for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast. Your host, Mike Peacock, invites you to make yourself comfortable for over 100 issues and their very first annual with the League as they enter the much-beloved satellite era. Here's a brief sampling of the thrills and chills that await your podcast catcher. A veritable who's who of new members, such as the Elongated Man, Red Tornado, Zatanna, and Firestorm. Surprise membership returns. More epic team-ups with the Justice Society of America, along with appearances by the Legion of Superheroes, the All-Star Squadron, the New Gods, and even a combination of the DC Universe's greatest heroes of history. A galaxy of superstar writers such as Denny O'Neill, Len Wein, Steve Englehart, and Jerry Conway. 
the longest artistic run in the book's history by the astonishing Dick Dillon, along with contributions by Neil Adams, Don Heck, George Tusca, Rich Buckler, and George Perez. All this and more surprises and excitement await you in this new phase of Justice's First Dawn. Coming along with Television's Era certified super friends at classicjla.podbean.com or subscribe to the show via iTunes. Oh yeah, and there's the debut of Ultra. Yay! And now all of a sudden, Peter, who's voice has been coming out of Drax this entire graphic novel so far. It's like him and Drax swapped voices prior to this in the graphic novel. Um, yeah. Now all of a sudden, Peter is back to Peter because he's like, so not what I wanted to hear. That's Peter. But prior to this, oh, he'd been he'd been speaking in that like, you know, like that Drax kind of way, you know? Yeah. It's a, So some of it's a little buggy here. I mean, yeah, the overall yeah. thing so far is good, but some of the wording is like it's just, it's just that's something that's something that you get like like I've always said, you know, you, you start to pay close attention to comic books in the way that we have to in order to provide these high quality podcasts for our listening public. And you start <laughs> some of the things there are things that you just start to pick up on in a in a in a running regular way. And I'll remember a few years back when I uh, did my first deep dive into 1960s Marvel and I wrote a couple of. Uh, pieces about the experience for uh, podwits.com, my old uh, website and podcast. Um, I remember thinking to myself, uh, one of the things that I noticed in the course of that deep dive was everything that you can say about the clumsiness and primitiveness of the, the, the comics making of that era. One thing that you had to hand Stan Lee as a, as a writer was his ability to give every to not just give everybody different voices, but maintain those voices and use those uh, distinct voices in effective ways to make these characters distinct and beloved by their fans. Uh, I always I pointed out at that point that Peter uh, Parker did not talk like Ben Grimm, did not talk like Johnny Storm, did not talk like Scott Summers, and they all had very consistent and distinct voices. And so when you start to realize that that is a skill that is used by Stan Lee and others at Marvel, and that that is a thing that you notice happening when it is missing from the proceedings, as good as so much of what's going on here in the, in the infinity relativity and all of these Thanos graphic novels is, um, you know, I think we would also, you know, if we're being honest, we have to point out that that is an area in which Starlin is kind of not really succeeding. At least not here, no. Yeah, well, it, so like, it's yeah. been it's been buggy throughout. So I'm just I'm I'm just going to go on record in saying that consistency of voice of character voice is clearly not something he is either a good at or be focused on. Yeah, well, I, when I say here, I mean this whole story, right, this whole right, right, graphic, exactly. the whole graphic yeah. novel, at the very least. I didn't just mean those pages. I meant the whole story because, like we said before, the Drax Star Lord stuff. Yeah, yeah. So now we're getting a little. Now we're getting a relatively smooth info dump here. Callback. I, I'm guessing this is a callback to Annihilation. How many died the last mm-hmm. time Annihilus got frisky? <laughs> no exact figure, but it was well over a million. And that just stopped me in my tracks for a moment because you just think, oh my god, a million beings like died because of this guy, and he's still running around tr- like trying to engage in shenanigans. And it's like, yeah, this is a comic book, this is a story, this is a big, giant, 
you know, violent sci-fi epic. We love all that stuff. We're not supposed to like take that kind of stuff too, too seriously. And yet I can't help it for at least a moment. Take like, oh, my God, a million beings. Wow. So anyway, yeah, that was and just... it's been a while since I read Annihilation, but I think it actually would have been well over that. Uh-huh. Because I think he just I think he overran a couple worlds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And well, I'm not gonna say anything more on that because we have something coming up soon here that we'll we'll, we'll call back to that in a few minutes. But anyway. Now I just want to note, and I'll I'll pay this off in a little bit, but I just want to note that Gamora says here, Gamora says here, I don't think uh, Annihilus blew up New Kral, but I've my suspicions as to who did. So just file her saying that away for a little bit, and we'll come back. To oh that. yeah, yeah. And so we transition over to Annihilus preparing to attack Chandelar. Exactly. Gladiator is doing exactly what he said he was going to do because he's not terribly bright. For the grand high commander of a of a galactic empire's military forces. I'm not just saying that about here. I'm saying that is a that is something I have thought repeatedly every time he's turned up, which is why I don't like Gladiator, and which is why one of my greatest joys in comic reading is watching Gladiator get his ass kicked. Which no, I'm not going to debate that part. But <laughs> I will say this: as far as I know, most people don't know that Annihilus can do this whole teleporting in so easily now. Mm-hmm. So. While it may or may not be a good tactic, I don't really blame him for not realizing it's not a good tactic to use against somebody that you don't know they can do this. In a way, that's true, but this is not the first time I have read other works of fiction where it is in which it is pointed out. One of the one of the things anybody who studies military history and military uh, tactics learns early on is you don't concentrate your forces. That is almost always an invitation to make it very, very easy to have your forces decimated very, very quickly. And I just would think that Gladiator is operating off of fear here, and that's fine. In a way, it can be excused because he's not making decisions he would, perhaps under different circumstances, perhaps he still has this fear thing overriding his reason. Uh, But that said, uh, it is still a... On the flip side, this is not the first thing I've seen the supposedly talented Grand High Commander of the uh, Shi'ar Empire's military do something unforgivably stupid. So I'm not sure what to think about this except to agree with Pip that this is a dumb idea and he's about to get spanked for it. Mm, that's true. And I was thinking about they, he could have just contacted all these people that he wants to have this conference with and just done it on Skype. Right. Or, which we've, which sorry, we, Space Skype. Right, which we've seen him do that before, too. It's setting up something fun, and I do like the, uh, as I've uh, mentioned in the earlier episodes, this is our first uh, look in this episode, anyway, at the evil triumvirate of Annihilus, Dr. Boltar, and, is it Dr. Boltar? Yeah. Dr. Boltar and Blastar. They have been been consistently fun and enjoyable to read about. So, yeah, them sort of, like, hanging around and being like, yep, Yep, all is as we planned. Let the slaughter begin. Oh, yeah, it's time. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys go for it. <laughs> yeah. And I like the fact that it's, it's true what you said. They are fun, and yet they have not been comedy. They have not been the comic relief or a joke villain. But, yeah, the three of them together have been a lot of fun. But they're not portrayed as a, you know, if they're portrayed too much as a joke, then they really would be no threat. Well, what they're portrayed as, in, and this is refreshing, 
because I think in a lot of large, a lot of large scale epic type comic book stories that I've read, uh, in which the threat to be overcome is an invader or would be dominator wanting to destroy and or control and or rule the universe or whatever. Um, too often, that's just the rationale for it has been along the lines of, well, I am powerful, therefore I will grab all the power I can. And it's just, it's almost like a wind them up and start them going sort of thing without a whole lot of personhood behind that um, thing. And here what we're seeing is, yes, would-be conquerors, they are evil, they want to kill and destroy and dominate and, and all that. But they're also, it's being depicted as something that they're doing because it's something they want to do. Hey, they woke up one morning, decided they wanted to conquer and or rule and or destroy the Posiverse. And because they are now engaged in the pursuit of something they wanted to do, they are enjoying themselves. And in a way, that's refreshing to see because it simultaneously makes them more enjoyable to read about and at the same time makes them a more believable and credible threat in that way so i'm digging party time annihilus and 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 friends yeah <laughs> annihilus and friends right exactly <laughs> but yeah so we start off with the invasion of chandelar as these teleportation things yeah like you said not a good move i mean they just open the teleport things and drop in a whole crap load of space mines to exactly ships exactly <laughs> And meanwhile, they have hundreds of gateways opening on the planet and dispersing all of their ground troops, which, remember, are not just regular troops. These are giant frigging bugs. Right, right, exactly. So imagine exactly. all of a sudden you're around doing whatever you're doing during the day, and all of a sudden an invasion of giant bugs just comes around, like bugs bigger than you. That's yeah. pretty frigging creepy. Yeah, no, that's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, one of the reasons Annihilus has always been an effective villain is his insectoidness and the fact that his hordes, his swarms, are swarms of insects. Yeah, that is extremely disturbing and it just adds to the to the nasty factor of what's going on. And so basically, Chandelar is overrun and functionally, I don't know if it, uh, we call it... Uh, conquering i mean it was basically destroyed so as you pointed out this is the home world of the shiar empire now it is no more that's pretty yeah. momentous in fact yeah so it's also why i say i wonder if a million was a bit low of a count mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, i would say billions okay so i just want to take a quick moment to notice something about the design of dr Boltar's face here that struck me and i don't know if anyone else will have the same reaction you, Al, like me, I know you are a fan of Doctor Who, but I don't know how much classic Doctor Who you've watched, the original series. Uh, there was a classic Doctor Who episode from 1975. It was uh, Tom Baker's first season. The episode uh, or story, Revenge of the Cybermen. And it had an alien race in it called Vogons, the, the classic, the 1970s costume design of the alien race. They had these prosthetics or masks on their faces um, that the eyes, they had that same arched, heavy-lidded uh, look to them, the same shape as Dr. Boltar's eyes here. It is very reminiscent of them in a way. But one of the striking things about the in, in that Dr. Who story was because they were very clearly sort of 
prosthetics over their faces, they didn't move. Those those eye pieces did not move in any way to reflect emotion or anything like that. They just sat there immobile and made them look alien. And in the same way, I, I feel like in every uh, panel that he's been in, Dr. Boltar's face has been the same way. His eyes don't move. And it's so similar to the Vogon thing. I have to wonder if there's any sort of influence there or if it is just a, a, a coincidence. But it is extraordinarily similar. And yeah, maybe you can put a, a screenshot of a, of a Vogan face on the uh, in the show notes to... Uh, to uh to, to illustrate what i'm talking about uh for this episode right. but anyway that was just it's something possible. that something that real like this right here is a real good illustration and we'll get a lot more boltar later and it will remain true so well maybe i'll, I'll look I'll, I'll look it up you know now two things one part of me really wanted to try and piss off a lot of doctor classic doctor who fans by saying classic who what you mean like eccleson uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's the new series has been around long enough now that you can kind of say that. I mean, by yeah. the time you know, by the time the original series was what 10, 11, 12 seasons in, we were I mean, hell, I believe if I'm recalling correctly. Well, that would be 10 years in. 75 would be about 12 years in. Yeah, I do believe uh 12 years in uh was uh they were ending up the third doctor's run and getting ready to launch a fourth doctor. So but um, so, yeah. no, I, I've not seen that one. Although I have seen, I mean, I've I've seen scatterings of the classic stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a couple things of Tenet. Yeah, I would not Tenet. Why am I saying Tenet? Wrong. Wow. Doctor. Yeah, uh, you're you're Baker. still doing it, Al. You're still doing it with Tom Baker. I I, yeah. I know City of Death. Oh yes, a classic. Great one. Pyramids of Mars. One or two other ones. Oh, but that's one, one of my all-time favorites. Pyramids of Mars is one of my all-time favorites. That's a good. But I've not seen that one. Although my question about the aliens, the Vogons, is how's their poetry? Ah, ah, okay. You know what? I'm a, I'm going to correct myself now because that you're right. That is that is brain pollution from way too many decades of sci-fi uh, ingestion. There, they are not Vogons, and that is my bad for for saying it as such. Oh, they are the inhabitants of an asteroid called Voga, so they are in fact Vogans. Uh well, see, I was wondering because wasn't, um, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? I don't know. The guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Thank you. Yeah. Well, wasn't he like a script editor and like writer on Doctor Who for a while in that time yes. period? So I actually was like, oh, Vogons, he wrote that and just kind of reused the name. No, no. This was several years before he was involved. Uh, this was oh, 1975. Okay. And at that point, the episode was written by uh, by Jerry Davis. God, I, that I know this. This is this is my nerd cred on display. It was written by Jerry Davis, and at that point, the script editor was Robert Holmes. So okay. Douglas Adams would get involved a few years later, and I'm not going to sit here and say he was completely uninfluenced by it. That said, Vogons is a straightforward enough construction that I don't think he would necessarily need to draw from anywhere else to have come up with it on his own. But that is a completely separate issue. Moving on back to anyway, but just every time I see Dr. Boltar's face, those eyes like call me back to that. So I just wanted to make a note of that. I'll have to look that up. I mean, I need to watch. I do want to watch more of that anyway. I just haven't had a chance to actually have time to you know, to justify buying that Brit box thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's where all the classic stuff is on. That was my show growing up. When I was when I was a young lad, uh, well into my teens, like my 
my favorite sci-fi was Doctor Who. My my little weird little inter- fantasies centered around finding a TARDIS and time traveling. It's like that was my that was my home home base growing up was was yeah. Doctor oh. Who. So yeah. And before we get back, real quick, I'll just say and just interject with that on that one. Now I have not seen a lot of the classic stuff. I've seen Sun, and I haven't seen anything with the uh, Sixth Doctor at all, Colin uh-huh. Baker. So I can't uh-huh. I can't say anything about his stuff because I've not seen it. Mm-hmm. But I will say, based on the ones I've seen, my favorite out of those, uh-huh. Pertwee. Pertwee's fantastic, and Pertwee was unique. The first, his first three seasons, where they 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 basically tried to make it almost a an Earthbound spy show, like almost a, a follow on to the Avengers as much as anything else. Like it was, it, that was a, a lot of fun stuff in there. Pertwee is was a great Doctor, and his years had a lot of fun stuff to offer. Yeah. I'm liking, I'm liking his stuff a lot. My, my one little, and the last thing I'll add, just cause you mentioned it and because I'm a, I'm a big fanboy, And so I have to get my opinion out there. The thing about Baker, about Colin Baker, the sixth doctor that, as you said, um, that you haven't seen any of that yet. He was, he was the really the first manifestation of, 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 of a phenomenon that I have seen, a lot in, in, in Doctor Who, which is great doctor, lousy stories. There mm. are, like, he was only the doctor for two full seasons, and he was just starting to get in. Like, I think he all along had this notion, like, this idea in his head that he wanted to play the do- his doctor as, like, a dick with a heart of gold, right? He wanted to be outwardly impossible to deal with outwardly obnoxious and not at all nice cuddly any of those things and this was the like i think really in a way the first time this had been seen at least unless you want to like like i think this was sort of the initial interpretation of the first doctor like that was kind of yeah. how they intended the first him to doctor be. was kind of, was kind of a dick in the beginning right and then he softened as like the kids loved the show and he became a hero to children everywhere like hartnell softened and the approach of the show creator softened etc 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 so i think colin baker really wanted to recapture that for the first time since hartnell and you know but i think it was that was a notion uh that both with his, the way he was envisioning it and also with the way he um the, the the show was being made there in the mid 80s i think that was very much a notion a vision that was going to take some time to come to full fruition and i think he was unceremoniously fired before he uh, had a chance to really get that as as well established so he had a great doctor conceptually and he had a lot of wonderful moments but of i'd say the the 10 stories or so that he uh was in on tv there was really only two or three of them that are any good and worth watching. The rest of them suffer from any number of real glaring flaws that make them disappointing at best and cringeworthy at worst. That said, the big Finnish audios have done a great job of redeeming that particular doctor. The sixth doctor has become an all-time great in his audios. He, like, That's what I've heard. Number- number of great stories, a number of running plot lines, like long form continuity there that just made the sixth doctor everything that you thought he could be. And then some, so, which is why at the end of the day, he is one of my favorite of the doctors 
but that's all that's all like, a lot of context goes into backing that statement up not it's yeah. not from the show so to speak like i saw the potential there and you know and there there are two or three stories that are really really good in there but you know it, it's not it's not the the, the the show's best era by any stretch of the imagination, which is sad because a good doctor was wasted on some really, really crap stories. Mm. All right. So anyway, moving on. So enter, enter them at your own risk. Anyway, moving. Yes. On. <laughs> moving right along. So now I want to, I, I, I'm sorry to, to sort of like, you know, wrench it back. Um, I remember a page or so ago where uh, uh, Gamora said she had suspicions as to who blew up New Kral. And mm-hmm. Annihilus does too. Annihilus says, suspect, I know, Thanos. And I'm wondering, how did Bo- how, why did Gamora think that? Why did Annihilus think that? What were they going off of that made them, that they knew that Thanos was responsible for that. Is he just the mad bomber of the Marvel universe? And anytime <laughs> anything blows up inexplicably, you th- your first thought is Thanos or what? Because I'm the evil midnight bomber. What bombs at midnight? <laughs> like, where are they getting that? Well, for Gamora, remember, Thanos contacted her and told her to go there, basically. Uh, that's true. That's true. He did. That is a true statement. And I know that they've been tracking, Annalise has been tracking the you know, mysterious object that we know it is Adam Warlock. And I thought mm-hmm. he, and wasn't like Thanos the only one he can't, he wasn't able to track. Oh, like yeah. He knew where everyone else was that would be possibly interested in that or involved, except for Thanos. Not to mention. So for Nihilus, it's a bit more of a guess, but it's like, well, let's see. I know where no one else was involved in this. I just don't know what that guy did. And, it's and he's the only one I don't know. And it's definitely so. an educated guess, much like with Gamora. Gamora recognizes Thanos' handiwork when she sees it on account of all the time she spent around him. I yeah. was also reminded by later pages of this graphic novel that Thanos spent a lot of time around Annihilus during Annihilation. Yes, um, he did. That whole serving to try to avoid death thing that he did back then. So Annihilus would also have reason to, would also have enough experience to kind of recognize Thanos' fingerprints on something. So that does make sense now that you uh, now that you talk it out that way. And one thing also I want to say for the reasons we're talking about the right we were talking about the writing and like some of the issues with the dialogue. But I do want to say I do like how he does this where he ends the transition from the Guardians to Annihilus with the suspicions of who did the explosion in New Crow. And then we end we go to the thing with Annihilus and Bolto, you know, and his buddies, mm-hmm. Annihilus and friends. Mm-hmm. And that part ends with Annihilus suspecting who did the explosion in New Crow. Mm-hmm. And that transitions us over to Thanos, who we know right, did the exactly. explosion. Right. So it's kind of a nice little, you know, I, I like that, like a nice little mirroring way to go to, from the transition. The same, you know, a same thing, same thing, and then to the object that they're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Which, you know that if this had been a, a filmed piece of entertainment, that that would have, the scene would have changed. We would see Thanos, and then we'd hear Annihilus's voice in voiceover, Thanos. Oh, yeah, Exactly. So we have a, is this art or is this a picture? Like, is this like the whole Kirby thing where he used to do collages? Um, yeah. The scene does. of Adam and, and Thanos yeah. in front of like this whole galaxy. Like, I'm not, I can go either way on this. I'm not sure if this is painted or if this is like a picture like Kirby used to do. Um, yeah, that's a good question. And I have absolutely no way of determining that for sure. Uh, it is for sure. It is a, um. I mean, it's it's a gorgeous thing, no matter what. But yeah, you're right. 
it is uh, it is it is real looking enough that we could be taking a piece of of a photograph like from the Hubble or something. Although I think he would have had to have credited that somewhere. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the maybe. rules are. On that, but yeah. I don't know. Is that kind of stuff public domain? Uh, I'm sure there is public domain art of public domain photographs of galaxies. However, I don't know if any, I think any of the ones that would be this lush and detailed, uh, the photos, they would have come from Hubble. And as far as I know, all of the stuff from the Hubble Space Telescope and other observatories run by uh, NASA and other uh, uh, state space agencies, I think that would be uh, all under some sort of copyright or some sort of uh, licensing uh, control. So I'm not sure exactly how that goes. But anyway, oh, okay. uh, but I like uh, so. So why have you brought me here, Titan? To converse. Wow. And to make amends for a serious wrong I have done you. And now we're back to just like, well, this this might be an all new uh, warlock, but this is definitely an all new Thanos too. Although now this stuff, the the conversation between the two of them mm-hmm. feels good to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This no, feels it good. really this does. This feels an Adam Thanos conversation. Yeah, yeah. They always talk to each other differently than they talk to everyone else, which is why I always say they are the closest thing each other has to friends or family, even. No, it, it's even as true. much they as they sh- might try and kill each other, literally. They share a Doesn't unique matter. bond. They definitely share a unique bond. Also, this is this is definitely a like I, I keep noting um, because I have less experience with the character than uh, than you and your other cohorts on this podcast. This scowling, angry warlock is always a little bit jarring to me to because I always think of warlock as like you know this sort of naive cosmic newborn and this whole like angry bitter warlock is interesting to me. Yeah, he's been that way too. It all depends. Uh huh. And sometimes Warlock smiling too much can be weird, too weird as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I like that he's so comfortable with the fact that he dies and comes back so often. He just sort of shrugs it off. At one point, Thanos in this conversation says, "You are exhibiting startling new powers in this present incarnation, are you not?" And you can almost see Warlock shrugging when he says, "Each new life brings change." Like, yeah. It's not like the first one. I'm wearing pants. I'm happy. Right. It's just, it's so, like, he's so comfortable with it. I am simply evolving. No, no, you're not. You are wrong there, Warlock. And I love that he shows him the, uh, he shows him these x-rays. Like, this is like a doctor showing a patient x-rays. He's got these things lined up of, like, uh, here is the bioscan of your typical Earth human, of myself. And what I took of the entire universe. He took a bioscan of the entire universe and he's displaying it to Warlock like a like like a sheet of X-ray. Exactly. And then of course, which is which we revealed in the first episode, he says, and then I the final scan is you. And if we look at them, oh, the one of Warlock and the one of the universe, mm-hmm. exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Now this is interesting though, because to me, uh, I don't know if this is uh, deliberate or not. Don't forget that when Thanos says, I took of the entire universe, I take that to mean the entire universe they're currently living in. And yet Warlock has a different universe in here. So why would it why would it match so precisely? I'm not sure. But um, that was just well, a thought based on everything else we see in here. I'm taking it to be that his reality was ninety nine point nine 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 percent exactly the same as ours. In fact, the only difference might have been. Warlock's costume. Mm-hmm. So if oh. that's the case, it would look 
almost like maybe like there's like a minute change that you wouldn't see. It's, it'd be like looking at twi- like twins, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. identical twins. You know, there will be some minute differences, mm-hmm. but you know, the majority of it's going to be the exact same thing. Okay, you know? I can see that. That's always my theory with these universes. Like, you can look at like that. You know, the ones closest are going to be the most similar with just the most minor change. And as you get further out. So if he took a scan of the Marvel Zombies universe, it would be vastly different. Right, right, right. Now, at the bottom of the page, we have another classic Starlinism, which is a, another great transition, which is these two panels next to each other, which prevent the faces, present the faces of Thanos and Boltar as a half and half. And that's oh, a lot yeah. of fun. Oh, but real quick, going back to the page before, yeah. before we go on, yeah. with the thing with Thanos apologizing, but I do yeah. like the fact that he's actually not apologizing to Adam. He's apologizing to himself. Right, right. It's not that he did anything to Adam. It's that Thanos didn't think to keep a better eye on what had happened and yeah. monitor more. So while Thanos is presenting this, and in Thanos's head, this is probably him actually apologizing to somebody. Yeah, I did. We're wrong. I'm. I underestimated you, and I should have done this. But really, he's not really underestimating. He's just apologizing to himself because he was didn't do his due diligence. Right. He is admitting regret, but no remorse. He feels no remorse. But and this is the closest that he's going to get to. Absolutely. And probably one of the few beings he would apologize to. Absolutely. I mean, you could probably count them on one hand: himself, Adam, mm-hmm. Gamora. Mm-hmm. Probably it. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. Maybe maybe under extreme circumstances, the surfer, but... Mm, maybe. But anyway, so yeah, so like I said, we have this great transition, and now we're back with uh, Blastar and Boltar, and they're yes. tracking the, the, en- the energy source. We now it has now been revealed, although they don't actually say it here, but if no. you're looking at them, you actually... As long as it's, you're paying attention to the art, it's right there in front of you. No, it's a fascinating. It's lovely because the the it's it's a real nice way of establishing it. Warlock, my readings match. Yes. What does that mean? Ask not a question. You already know the answer to. And then we go to Boltar, and it seems like we're cutting away, but we're not because Boltar is basically saying, "I found the energy source." It's like, yes, it's Adam. It's right here. He's saying it without saying it, and I like that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we do get later on, they do uh, come out right out and say it. But mm-hmm. I like in the early part here, it's slow, you know, it's slowly done. First, we have a suspicions about what the energy source could or could not be. And now we do have a confirmation of what it is without actually coming out and saying it. But it's right there still. It's not even subtext. You know, mm-hmm. it's just more subtle text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You and know, that's in the artwork. The, the most ideal manifestation of this to me is right in the middle of the next page. And it took me a long time, actually, to really get what Starlin was doing here. So so Thanos is explaining every... And you and I have already sort of uh, covered this. It's like, yes, uh, Warlock is the energy source. He's the energy source because he is not the survivor of, uh, uh, of a dead universe. He is, in fact, the manifestation and carrier of an entire, quote-unquote, dead universe and Mm -hmm. Thanos is explaining all that to him he's explaining it to the readers he's you know he's putting it out there but he isn't like saying it so explicitly and and Warlock goes you mean I'm and then there is a panel completely dialogueless a far shot a wide shot or a far shot of the two of them on that little platform with that great 
galaxy scape behind them, this cosmic, universal, galactic massiveness. Yes. Boom. Fantastic. Like, that is the best. The way Starlin wanted to do this info dump, do this confirmation slash explanation uh, exposition thing, and he does, but he didn't want to do it quite so clumsily or quite so straightforwardly. He is rocking it here. Oh, yeah. Great and this, I think this is a better way of doing it. Yeah. So it's like, so what do you want? And Thanos is like, I want to associate with a being who could possibly terminate my existence with a thought. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Thanos actually finds this amusing. Well, and also it's a, it's a brilliant strategy. So there is a thing in the universe that could conceivably destroy you. What do you do? Make friends with it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? You find the biggest guy in the yard and make, become his buddy. Exactly. Exactly. Typical. Absolutely typical Thanos. That's so That's so great. And, you know, I probably assume that Thanos is at some point trying to figure out how to absorb your power into himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also makes the case, look, you don't have the luxury of adjusting to this in a leisurely way. Annihilus is here and Annihilus is coming for you and you cannot negotiate with someone like Annihilus so we've only got one choice here Warlock and that is a, that is always I mean this is a, a sentiment that often turns up in our uh, in our preferred forms of fiction I think is this whole notion of okay here is a threat I know it would be great if this threat could be reasoned with or neutralized in some humane way but it can't so now yeah. we supposed good guys have got to reconcile ourselves in some way with taking the ultimate action against this threat. And that is oh, always a, a sentiment that I enjoy. This is a little different than, let's say, and I'm not going to say where I take my stance on it, but let's say the Joker of, you know, should we just kill the Joker? Right, right. This is not a mad individual. This is actually a country so to speak mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know this is an army so mm-hmm. yeah nego- you know so it's not so really your only two options are to either destroy mm-hmm. or contain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and either have to find some way to contain them in the negative zone you know this is basically we're talking about a war now you know whether or not you want to do it a nihilist has declared war on the positive universe, so so they are being invaded. Yeah, so it's that, either destroy all the enemy, all the armies, or destroy the head. And that makes this uh, entire graphic novel and this entire saga that Starlin's telling us a very interesting and odd sort of thing, generically speaking. It is for all of its philosophizing and all of its cosmic. Uh, mysticism on some level this is also very clearly becoming or establishing itself as a work of military sci-fi which is an interesting combination of faces for a piece of uh, fiction to wear i like it yeah this isn't this is an army this is an invasion uh-huh. this is not a super i mean Annihilus is a supervillain, but this is not a supervillain action right now this right. is a military war action right you know now of course like i said they could go for the contain they could go i mean to see if there's a way to stop them from getting out of the positive negative zone mm-hmm. but quite frankly that's not thanos's way and not <laughs> he's not going to mention, gonna go for that not to mention that genie's already out of the bottle it's like 
that that would have been an, a viable option at some point had you the foresight to know this was going to happen and blah, 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 blah. But the ship sailed. The ship sailed, you know? You can't. Yeah. The only way to get him back in there, the best is to force him. And, you know, with that expenditure of of effort and, and resources, well, hell, uh, uh, destruction is as viable an option. So, yeah. And like we said, like I said, that's not Thanos's way. <laughs> right. And there is that, too. So uh, now Warlock knows he's not sure how he knows, but he knows he needs to enlist some other people in the struggle because they won't succeed without them. And so they pay a call on the guardians yes. and predictably shenanigans ensue. Oh, of course. Yeah. They teleport in. <laughs> and as Peter, as star Lord says, two of my worst nightmares showing up together. Right. Right. And, and, and okay. I got to knock Starlin because really in 2018, we're going to sit here and get no, this can't be happening as a reaction, really. <sighs> Very seventies of you, dude. Very seventies. Oh yeah, but still. Although I love Pip, like yes. blonde on and hugging Adam, like in in the background of the panel. I didn't notice it before because the uh, the action of Thanos eye blasting Drax. Is is very attention hogging, and then like later on, you sort of look back at the pen, and you're like, "Oh, look at look at Pip! He's just he's so happy. He's hugging Adam. It's adorable." Well, again, it's like the like we said about Adam and Thanos. That is his one friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has other people he could, you can say are his friends. Mm-hmm. Like Gamora was technically, you know, he would consider Gamora a friend, but Adam has never spoke doesn't speak to him the way Gamora does. Like you know, like she's like you said, she spoke to him like he's a toddler. Right. Adam would do that, speak to him like he's a toddler too, but in a much more polite manner. Like Adam in that situation, instead of what Gamora said to Pip, would have said, Pip, please. And Rocket, staying true to brand, uh, says this has got to be the trolls doing. Like, oh yeah. my God, Rocket. <laughs> but yeah, no, that is my favorite part of that page is that panel, the back part of the panel. And Adam's face like, what the hell? Is <laughs> Pip just jumps into his arms mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like you're alive yeah so star lord pulls his gun and Th- uh, warlock encases it in a uh crystal which is which yeah. is which is fun and and i like that peter's reaction is i'm so dead now aren't i like he's like oh, okay this is it that's this is it. and warlock's like so it would appear like whoa is he actually teasing he is I love Star-Lord. that. Little, that look at the little is, smirk he has. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that is a new state of affairs, isn't it? That amused me to no end. Another nice thing in this panel is uh, Gamora says, you didn't kill Drax, did you? And to which Thanos replies, and risk your wrath, Gamora. It's like, I like that Thanos, like, that's as much respect as he's ever shown anyone in his entire existence. Yep. No, like I said, these are some of the few people he actually will respect yeah. somewhat as much as we've been making the joke before this is a uh, annihilus and his amazing friends in another way like on the flip on the other side we have thanos and his amazing friends and it's kind of wonderful as a matter of fact oh yeah and of course you have also have the pip rocket thing is rockets trying to like shoot thanos and yeah pip's yeah. like you moron 
Like, yeah. I'm trying to keep you from dying. Yeah, and that's why Pip is awesome, because here's this little jerk ass who has been nothing but racist and horrible to him from the very moment they met. And Pip is still, like, trying to save his life. So that's kind of awesome. Speaking of people dying. Yeah. I like how Adam makes... Starlord tries to relax Starlord. Relax, Peter. If I saw vengeance against everyone who ever killed me, I'd have no one left to talk to. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful self-awareness there on Adam's part, you know? <laughs> He's like, look, pretty much everyone I know has tried to kill me at one point or another. It's what happens. Yep. Yep. You move on, you know? That's and, in the past. And and I love and I love moving on. Uh we love so Boltar has still chasing the power source, and he's located Thanos. And they're together, and I love Annihilus is like, damnation! The Titan has beaten me to the prize! And I'm like, that's a great reaction. He's like, ha! Thanos has won? Un- inconceivable! <laughs> now, what is he eating? That oh, looks bug. like little wormy bug yeah. things. Like, is he eating his, like, are these like baby version of his own people? He's, he's eating, he's eating larvae, maybe? Yeah, pure protein, dude. Come on. Yeah, but yeah, it's like, oh, damn, it's so, like, he's a cannibal, too. Yeah, no, totally. Like, he's got the little lackey there. And yeah, you can just see the lackey. Like, like here, here, eat my baby, sire. You know, <laughs> he's holding the, the bowl. I just know. made them for you. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, the, uh, the, the just one more way that we can establish Annihilus is kind of horrible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so gross. So, Boltar uh, dispatches the spy drones. And now he, uh, now they, now they can see and hear everything going on in the Guardian's vessel, and this can't be good. Because you know they're going to, like, talk about their plans, and, oh, man, this is just unfair. Yeah, yeah. But, like you said, overriding vessel security protocols, criminally mm-hmm. ineffective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True. He's like, he's like we're gonna, just going to hack into the... Damn, this is too easy. This sucks. Dude, you got to fix this. Yeah. So what he overhears is first a little bit of recapping of the Thanos versus Hulk miniseries. By way of explanation of why Thanos has recruited Pip uh, as part of their uh, as part of their plan, because Pip can teleport and Pip has teleported there now, so now he can go back there, I guess, if he wants to. So now, though, he has to say it out loud. Damn it! So now Annihilus and Boltar can hear, but he says we're going to teleport right into the middle of them, and we're going to blow his kill stuff Annihilus. Up. Yeah, kill Annihilus, yep. destroy the nursery. Um, yeah, where he has re- re- replacement bodies. Right, exactly. And therefore, therefore, he's dead and stays dead. Right, and now we get a little bit of a little bit of a naval, not naval gazing. That's a bad word, but a little bit of hesitation. You know, because Quill's like, "You're you wait, 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 wait. You want us to be assassins?" And Gamora echoes this. You know, wait, wait, being assassins. You're okay with this, Adam? And Adam's like, quite. You know, I can't disagree with Adam's reasoning. He says, Annihilus will continue to wreak havoc in this reality until he locates that which he searches for or is terminated. And it's like, really, that's that is a true statement. You you really not left with a whole lot of uh, choices of road here, you know? Yeah, because like I said, it's not like he's the Joker where theoretically you could also make the argument with, well, you know, if we actually have proper security at Arkham Asylum, he'd not be a problem anymore. Right, exactly. Exactly. But that's a person, not an invading army. And then there's this great bit where where Thanos will not say what the power source that Annihilus is looking for oh, is. God, yeah. So so Rocket like has this whole thing about the crystal, and so <laughs> Thanos give it here, boom, and he just like 
crushes it in his fist. <laughs> He's such a dick. Yeah, he is. He is. Oh, and uh, come on. You, like, you wouldn't have done that just to tweak Rocket, too. Come on. Well, yeah, the Thanos probably is like, eh, I can have some fun at least. Rocket but I know, had it's, that it's coming. Such a, it's, oh, yeah. I'm not arguing that either. It doesn't mean it's not a dick move. No, 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 no. I agree. I agree. Because Thanos this, just had to say, no, it's yeah, not that. Really? I have and a that's question. It. At this point, at this point, is there anybody in this story who's not a dick? <laughs> On some level? I mean, maybe Pip. Groot. 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 Good call. Good call. Groot. Pip, we start with cheating at cards. Cheating cards. Yeah, no, he's a dick. He's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so now we're at the point where uh, the plan goes into action. Pip teleports them in uh, directly above Annihilus' palace, but they're awaited. We've got humanoid shields. Oh, dear. Yes. Oh, Which... dear. I'm assuming he did that for everyone but Thanos. Right. Because I'm assuming if they just knew, if there was just Thanos coming, he's like, well, that's not going to do anything. Thanos is like, oh, that's nice. Blam. Daddy, has Hulk always been green? Well, no. Daddy, has Spider-Man ever been married? Well, that's quite complicated. Daddy, did Superman have a mullet? What? No, there's no... Daddy, does Howard the Duck use foil language? Okay, stop. I must have done something wrong with your education somewhere along the line, but it's time to rectify that. You mean... Don't say it. You're doing another podcast? Oh, no. Podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess Podcast. An ongoing podcast to introduce and inform my children about the world of comics, science fiction, and general geekery. Join me each month along with my eldest daughter, Charlotte. Who's my father? And my youngest, Catherine. Me! As we explore all this together. Find us at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk On Facebook at marksmesspodcast And on Twitter at marksmesspodcast without the T A new podcast On a new feed Same old Mark <sighs> Episode 89 had our first part of our coverage for the Infinity Relativity and on Facebook the post about that episode was liked and shared by Dan Ostroff, Clinton Robinson, Jesse Starcher, Tom McCauley, John M. Wilson, Jason Venable, Paul Spataro, Amy Catherine, Bill Baer, Pat Sampson, Mike Peacock, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, Mark Radulich, Coffee and Comics, Alexis Henya, and Joe Sedano. On Twitter, it was liked and retweeted by Mr. Podcasts a Lot, Arachnoskeptic, Ed Moore, Let's get Shitty Show Podcast. Okay, my apologies if I screw this one up. Correction. My apologies for screwing this one up. <laughs> Leia Minha Ao. Charles Metcalf. Jorge Salvador Jurado. Comics in the Golden Age. Captain Blood of Kirby. Longbox Review. And Comics for Jack. On Tumblr, the post for the episode was liked by Critic Bannon. And since we're on the topic of Tumblr, let's thank a few more people who follow us there and see how badly I screw up those names as well. So thank you to Navy Caster, Anastasic123, Raina Mask. Alright, this one I'm definitely going to screw up because it's spelled K-R-M-C-E-W-A-N. Kermsiwan? Sure, let's go with that. <laughs> and White Jam 66 
as I've been saying these last few episodes, I have been getting some emails and comments in the Podbean site. I just have been forgetting to actually check. So right now I'm going through all the backlog and covering everyone's comments and emails. But I don't only have a couple more left, so please send them in so I can talk about yours. The email is resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. We're on Podbean. Just look for this podcast. Uh, you can always make comments on Facebook. Just search in the search box for Adam Warlock or Thanos. We pop up. On Twitter, we're at Adam Thanos Pod. And of course, we're on Tumblr at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. So here's today's email. This came in on October 2nd from David Spofforth. He's the guy who um, we read his email about an episode or two ago talking about the Marvel UK books from the 70s and 80s. Let's see what David has to say this time. Hi, Al. I've just finished listening to the Avengers Defenders War episode, and this brings back great memories. I'm going to have to sit down and read those again. You see, that story is my first ever Avengers story. To be exact, it was the Cap vs. Namor episode, as reprinted in Marvel UK's Super Spider-Man issue 231 from 1977. It wasn't my first experience with Captain America, as I read his team-up of Captain Britain a few months earlier, but it was my first Submariner. So it's funny that this level-headed, no pun there, <laughs> reasonable Namor who wants to talk things out was my first informative exposure to the character. Anyway, fortunately I knew a small news agent who, uniquely as far as my world knew, kept a box of back issues of Marvel UK weeklies so I could soon pick up earlier issues of Super Spider-Man to get most of the first parts of the story. It was years before I ever saw the Swordsman vs. Valkyrie fight. To go on a tangent here, those earlier Super Spider-Man weeklies also had reprints of the Invaders, which, although written later, really helped put the Cap vs. Nemo fight into context, seeing them as wartime allies. I then started listening to the Daredevil episode where you discussed the fact that Daredevil's mask doesn't have eye holes, and nobody ever picks up on that. Well, ignoring the fact that nobody ever asked Spider-Man about that either, there was a time when it was mentioned, and it links him with Thanos, believe it or not. Back during the first Thanos War in Captain Marvel, Steve Gerber was tying into it over in Daredevil. Over there, Moondragon had been duped by a local crime boss into believing that DD and the Black Widow were servants of Thanos. When DD exposed the plot, Mooney cured DD of his blindness, and all of a sudden his eyes were visible too. Indeed, in the next issue, a police friend of DD asked him how come he lost the eyepieces in his mask. Not sure if you covered this in more recent podcasts, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. Hopefully in a few months I'll have caught up and will be able to comment in a more timely way. Cheers, David in London. David, thank you again for listening and for writing in. Damn, you're really making me want to get, try and get some of these Marvel UK books from the 70s and 80s reprinting these Warlock stories. I've been looking a bit on eBay. Don't see too many, but I see a few. I'm getting tempted. Anyway, so, I'm glad you enjoyed the Avengers Defenders War episodes. That was a while ago. Yeah, Namor, we did comment on that. Namor was very level-headed, so it's kind of funny that that's your first exposure to him, and that probably always informs anything you read with him later on. You're probably wondering, why is he just talking to them? Why is Namor going acting like a jerk? <laughs> As for the Daredevil issues, we did cover them later on. I think it was episodes 46 to 48. I covered it with the guys from the Tales from the Long Box podcast. So I'm hoping you've listened to those by now. And, you know... I never actually thought about the fact, but you're right. Spider-Man's mask doesn't technically have eye holes either. So I guess it really wouldn't matter about the Daredevil one, since no one ever asked Spider-Man why he doesn't have eye holes in his. Well, I'm hoping you're liking more recent episodes. Hope I hear you again from you soon, David. Cheers.
This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And on that note, I think I think that is a good. Uh, yes. Do you think that's a good place to? Uh, yep, that's almost where this episode up anyway. So we yep. should we should get the la- the last bit done in the last part. Yes, I agree. So that is where we will cut it off for now. Next time we will do doing our final part of Thanos: The Infinity Relativity. Yes, which is Thanos and Adam and the Guardians of the Galaxy against versus Annihilus and his Annihilation Horde. Yes. Or, put another way, uh, Thanos and his amazing friends versus Annihilus and his amazing friends. Whose amazing friends will reign supreme? Join us to find out on the next episode of Resurrections. (laughs) Perfect. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Let's get started. Yes. Do your thing. Thing ring, do your thing. Go, oh, God. <laughs> I bet you, like I said, like we said before, I bet you we could find that show, that show in five seconds to watch. Oh, God. To. Easily. 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 The internet is a magic box of wonders. I know. <clears throat> okay. Five seconds and we go.